Hello and a warm welcome to South Asia Chat. I'm your host, Dr. Imran Ahmed, a visiting research fellow at the Institute of South Asian Studies here at the National University of Singapore. Today we'll be speaking about the US withdrawal from Afghanistan and an advancing Taliban and some recent developments in the region. As the US NATO withdrawal from Afghanistan continues, the future of Afghanistan looks more and more uncertain. Peace talks between the government and the Taliban, most recently in Doha, have so far made no substantive progress. And with the exception of ceasefires during Eid celebrations, Taliban-led violence has been on the whole unrelenting. Here to help us make some sense of these developments is Dr. Srinjoy Bose a senior lecturer in international relations and politics from the University of New South Wales. His research focuses on critical peace studies, including political order and violence, state formation and democratization in fragile and deeply divided states and societies. Dr. Bose, welcome. Hi, Imran. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on board with us today. So I wanted to ask you a few questions, firstly on the Taliban and then moving on to the broader region. So on the Taliban, I wanted to ask that, that right now there's a lot of speculation about the Taliban's capacity to overthrow the government. Uh, the current Afghan administration has both elaborated the threat of the Taliban that it poses, whilst at the same time assuring many of its backers that a full Taliban takeover is impossible. In your opinion, is a protracted civil war uh, imminent? And what factors will determine the capability of Afghan troops and security forces success or failure in keeping the Taliban at bay? Sure, thanks for that first question, Imran. Um, I think rather than querying the Taliban's capacity to overthrow the government, we probably should be querying the government's capacity to withhold such an eventuality, to, to, yes. to withstand such an eventuality. Okay. Um, look, I think, um, as you will, may probably be aware, uh, Taliban attacks um, uh, are increasing. Um, the Taliban have recently, over the past several weeks and months, uh, gained massive uh, uh, have made massive territorial gains uh, by taking over district centers across the country, uh, and in particular uh, in provinces in the north, which have historically been anti-Taliban. I see. Uh, so the gains that are being made and the territory and the foothold that the government is losing to the Taliban is cause for concern. So the question now is, why is the government losing that, this much uh, territory to uh, the Taliban? And do, does the government have the capacity, government and its allies have the capacity to withhold Taliban advances? It remains to be seen, but I, can, I think I can start with making some observations. Yes. Number one, the anti-Taliban forces uh, are uh, not a unified front. Uh, the government and the various strongmen and warlords in the country uh, who are anti-Taliban are not putting up a concerted front in the sense there's a lot of disagreement between them on what to prioritize and how to action a security effort against the Taliban's advances. 
there are a number of reasons for this, uh, which we will probably get into when we discuss President Ghani's overtly centralized uh, decision-making style, which has alienated former allies, which has alienated some of these strongmen because they feel disenfranchised. So that's one of the reasons. Uh, the second important reason is we must really query whether the Afghanistan National Security Forces have the capacity to repel Taliban advances without direct and indirect American air support and logistical support. Again, as you may be aware, the Americans have been steadily withdrawing. The latest manifestation of which was uh, the closing down of the uh, Bagram air, uh, airfield, uh, which was, you know, a symbol really of the American presence over the past two decades. Yeah. Um, also, as a side, side note, Bagram was essential to the American uh, rendition strategies, but that's probably a discussion for another session. So where does it leave the Afghan security forces? Uh, without uh, the Americans to provide that air support, will they be able to repel uh, Taliban advances? We are now seeing that they aren't capable of doing this. Many of us had warned about this time and time again in different fora, us observers and scholars, that is, um, that without American support, um, it, not only would the Europeans leave, the Europeans' contingents being dependent on American air power and logistical and transport supply lanes and so on and so forth, uh, but the Afghans too. So that's the second reason that explains the rapid advances that uh, the Taliban have made. I think a third reason would be to interrogate the security setup in the, in the country. It's important to mention that perhaps because of, on account of a very, very difficult fight against the Taliban, where Afghan soldiers and security personnel are dying in record numbers uh, at one stage last year, I think the official count was 35 losses a day, which you know, averages on more than about 10,000 a year, that's unsustainable. Those attrition rates and numbers uh, for the Afghan uh, National Security Forces uh, is unsustainable for, uh, for a institution that is only about 300,000 strong, and that too, that number is debated. Morale tends to be on the decline in the face of uh, these attrition rates, in the face of um, deep-rooted corruption, even within the security sector. Um, you know, senior government jobs um, uh, um, are viewed as, you know, um, um, you know, you know uh, very profitable uh, posts, um, uh, 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 corruption, many, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, organizations and think tanks and scholars uh, and studies really have indicated that corruption is endemic in these systems. Um, so in the face of that, morale has been low. And recently, over the past year or so, um, we see a really politicized uh, security apparatus in the country where, uh, again, President Ghani has been making some controversial decisions when appointing uh, personnel to senior uh, posts within the security um, and defense 
uh, ministries. Um, so to give you an example, uh, 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 Ghani has in the past appointed uh, persons who have been objected to by strongmen and warlords in a particular province. That has led to infighting. Uh, Ghani has also appointed um, uh, people to senior posts who don't boast uh, a prior record or experience in the security sector. So for a range of reasons that I have outlined and only briefly touched on really, um, uh, you can say that the morale is low and the capacity of the Afghan government to withstand uh, a Taliban uh, assault is seriously being questioned. I see, so thank you. Thank you very much for that. It's, it's really interesting because um, uh, just this morning, I, I listened to Joe Biden's press conference where he was um, so trying to defend uh, the um, basically a, uh, an intelligence report came out which suggested that the uh, government may collapse within six months. And uh, Biden uh, rejected that, um, saying that there's... Uh, you know, he, he mentioned that even though the Taliban have never been strong, is stronger than ever, um, he sort of defended the idea that the uh, Afghan forces were larger in number and, and better trained and had better capabilities and, and those kinds of things. So it's interesting um, that, he, you know, he, his, own, his opinions sort of very greatly diverge from what seem to be um, the uh, concerns of or, uh, almost the scholarly and um, commentating community. Uh, I wanted to go to the next question, which um, you, so, you sort of touched on about um, Ghani's uh, decision-making and, 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 the, and the turbulence that he's been, um, his method of governance has been creating. Um, is so. My question is: Is the U.S. withdrawal likely to spark further political fragmentation? Uh, in a, in other words, is the U.S. the critical factor that's keeping the Afghan state together, or is there enough internal agreement and shared interests for the government to hold rank? Sure, I think many observers would probably agree on the view that, you know, Kabul holds too much political, administrative and fiscal power over the, over, over the, uh, the country. And in other words, the precedent, the presidency, the president's office, Ashraf Ghani, holds too much uh, centralized power, which has marginalized uh, other actors and stakeholders. Has that always been the case, or is that something that sort of recently uh, evolved in Afghanistan? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, it's a great question because the Afghan political system is set up constitutionally in a way that centralizes power in the office of the president. That has been the case since. Uh, uh, the interim administration that was set up in Afghanistan. Having said that, um, someone like Karzai uh, recognized that he needed to uh, 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 
really bring in um, some of the important players, uh, um, uh, some of the clients, if you will. If he was the principal, then the clients were the warlords and the strongmen, um, on his on whose support um, his power was dependent on. Um, and you know, I mean, this led one uh, former, uh, uh, sorry, one former journalist and observer uh, to um, observe that, um, you know, um, Karzai was the uh, you know um, consummate. Uh, politician in the sense that you know he was always deal making right with mm -hmm. uh, these clients uh, you know giving out uh, largess um, uh, uh, on account of his position in re return to have them buy into his political project so even during Karzai's time power was highly centralized um, in the office of the president. It's not a parliamentarian system, it's a presidential system. Uh, but uh, he found a way somehow to bring those people in. I think under the Ghani presidency, you've seen a consolidation of the uh, presidential system or, or of heightened centralization. Uh, and really what we see under Ghani is that uh, decision making uh, uh, is um, and policy making is really re restricted to a very small group of uh, people, a clique, if you will. Um, and um, at least from the beginning of 2014, it has taken on an ethnic flavor in particular. Um, uh, and that has obviously uh, marginalized others who are uh, greatly. Uh, uh, disappointed uh, because obviously um, it not only has it curtailed their ability to contribute uh, or make inputs into decision making, but also because um, uh, that has uh, in effect resulted in a loss of power or loss of um, uh, status too. Um, I'll probably, does that answer the question? I'm not entirely sure if that answers. <laughs> The question, yeah, but I think uh, I, I think if I remember your question correctly, um, you wanted to ask as to whether it was the Americans who were providing the glue and yes, exactly. whether the country is going to fragment on account of this. I think what I'm trying to suggest is the centralized nature of power in Afghanistan creates fissures. Yes, and that those fissures might sometime in the future, if things progress down the same path and if things don't change, might lead to a greater fragmentation of the country. So you might end up seeing warlords consolidating uh, in their areas of uh, control. Um, and as a result, uh, the authority of uh, um, uh, the president's office, the authority of uh, the Kabul administration will only be confined to Kabul city itself. Um, I'm not necessarily arguing that um, the Americans were the glue over here. I think even when uh, there was a substantial American military presence in the country, you could see these fissures creating lots of problems. You've had Afghan warlords and strongmen threatening 
to form um, uh, parallel governments in the lead up to or immediately after elections that have been conducted in Afghanistan. So uh, I wouldn't say uh, that the Americans were actually the glue uh, in any sense. I think the Americans were central in the fight against the Taliban, but the political uh, uh, dynamics, uh, um, I would, wouldn't uh, attribute to that. Okay. So the, the next question I wanted to ask you was um, more on the Taliban. So just recently, uh, news reports have come through about the Taliban sending delegation to Russia, to Iran, um, speaking also with China, uh, an important dimension uh, that's often left out, I think, when discussing the Taliban is the fact that, you know, that they, they work extremely hard to get political legitimacy. I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, I guess, their political vision. Now, they refer to themselves, the Taliban refers to itself as the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Um, have the Taliban provided any picture of a political shape of their desired Islamic emirate? Uh, what are the group's key demands? Um, have they shared or, or, or have they elaborated on a constitutional vision of um, what the emirate would look like? Um, I ask these, this because uh, as we were discussing earlier, you know, you, news reports come in almost every day that they've advanced to this district or that district and they've taken it over. Um, is there sort of a, a, a governing agenda that they have? Sure. Uh, there, there's, a, there's actually a lot going on in that question. Um, mm -hmm. one, one is this question about what's the end game? What's the Taliban end game? What are their objectives? What are their goals? And then you've got another question about, okay, how, how are they um, uh, promoting uh, these goals, um, uh, agendas? Uh, what, is, what is it we know about uh, the, uh, the Taliban um, um, as a organization, as a movement that gives us clues to um, it, its ultimate goals and objectives. And uh, the final question being, well, how is the um, Taliban negotiating uh, 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 these objectives with other stakeholders, international and local? Right, so there's a lot going on. Um, we know a little bit about some of these questions uh, and elsewhere we know less. Uh, that's partly because I think um, how the Taliban have evolved, how they have continued to evolve over the course of the past 20, 25 years um, is uh, quite deeply misunderstood. I should point out at this stage that I'm not necessarily a, 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 an expert on the Taliban. Um, so I'd be a little bit wary uh, to respond to some of these questions, particularly in terms of the Taliban structure and how they're going about promoting uh, their objectives. Uh, but what is clear is two things. Number one, that the increasing violence that the Taliban has been meeting out against 
the Afghan population and civilians over the course of the past uh, five to six years should do away with any, uh, uh, you know, how should we say this? It should do away with any veneer of um, the Taliban uh, operating in good faith when they engage in negotiations with uh, uh, international partners such as, well, uh, international actors such as the Americans or even uh, the Afghan government, right? Um, if they were seriously considering uh, uh, peace for Afghanistan, uh, then they would be acting differently. Uh, so I think the, that facade is gone. Um, these, which leads me to my second point about Taliban ultimate goals and objectives. Um, I think it is clear, and it should be clear by now, uh, that the Taliban want to reestablish the Emirate, and they want to do it on their terms, um, that they will continue to be violent in the process. And an interesting factor is that for a very long time, the Taliban have justified their actions uh, uh, based on this argument that, you know, we have been occupied by foreigners, our lands have been occupied by foreigners, and we must resist this occupation. That was the reason of the Taliban uh, insurgency. With the Americans on their way out, what justifies this stance? So once again, we see that they were merely using that as a justification, the foreign occupation as a justification. Their end goal always has been the Emirate and will continue to be that. Um, and I suspect uh, uh, they have no intentions of preserving let, uh, sorry, uh, acknowledging, let alone preserving some of the gains that have been made uh, in terms of political development uh, since 2001. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I wanted to move uh, sort of just looking at Afghanistan, but for, perhaps from a more uh, geopolitical um, regional perspective. As um, US presence, interest and influence wanes, uh, other countries, most notably Turkey, Russia, China and Iran, uh, have stepped in uh, to fill or at least uh, capitalize on the developing power vacuum that's taking place there in Afghanistan. Now, a, a stable Afghanistan is in the shared interest of all regional actors, but is there a coherent collective plan to support peace in Afghanistan? Or do you think nations um, were, are working in cross purposes? Sure, uh, another great question. I think um, nation, it's the latter. I think nations are working at cross purposes in this regard. I think whether it's the Iranians or uh, the Russians and the Chinese and even uh, uh, the Turks um, or even Qatar, uh, they all have different views uh, of what uh, a peaceful or continued 
hostile environment outcome would be for their own national interests. Um, so I don't necessarily think uh, there is um, any agreement in that sense. And we, we haven't even touched on Pakistan in this regard. Um, I think it's not a question though of these countries um, only now starting to, uh, to take on a more active role. I think nations like um, Iran have for a very long time had a profound role to play in um, Afghanistan politics and security. Um, over the course of the past decade, we know that the Iranians have been playing spoiler uh, in the region. Um, so it's not that the power vacuum that is emerging is actually is leading to a, a, a heightened uh, or a more proactive approach. I think they all have been proactive, but in different ways. So I don't necessarily believe a stable Afghanistan is actually in many countries' interests. Uh, certainly that wasn't the case for Iran when the Americans were present. Uh, it helped uh, Iran to keep the Americans busy on two fronts, Iraq and Afghanistan, right? It was in their inter interest to do that, uh, which explains why um, post 2007, uh, the Iranians were always playing a dual strategy vis-a-vis -vis the Taliban, you know, partnering with the Taliban in several instances uh, and supporting their uh, uh, objectives in order to undermine uh, the American uh, military and security effort. Um, much of the dialogues that have taken place, they, really there are uh, uh, ad hoc inchoate dialogues in the sense that there are so many dialogues that have been announced. The Russians have done this in the past, announced um, a, a, you know, four party talk, three or four party talks. Uh, uh, the Turks have done this, uh, the uh, Iranians have tried to do this and, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's always, there's never really been a concerted strategy uh, by the international community and the Afghans in this regard. Um, so it's really all in Kuwait, um, uh, um, uh, re uh, which hasn't um, helped the cause. There is this wide view among observers that a peaceful Afghanistan will obviously lead to wider peace. Fine, that makes sense. But I think it's important to understand that all actors are ne not necessarily view uh, that as being the case. Uh, uh, they might want a stable Afghanistan on their terms. Certainly the Pakistanis want a stable Afghanistan under, which is ruled by the Taliban um, and is friendly to the Pakistani state and establishment. So on their terms. Uh, uh, there are, you could argue there it's, it's a similar case uh, for the Iranians uh, um, and so on and so forth. So we must really query um, do are all the other actors, international actors on the same page? Do they all recognize that pa Afghanistan needs to be peaceful and run by Afghans in order for the whole region to prosper from a shared peace? I don't necessarily think the other actors um, are on the same page on this. Obviously with the uh, departure of American forces, you're going to see more concerted efforts by these countries uh, uh, 
in their interventions in Afghanistan. You'll probably see um, different uh, international actors reaching out to different uh, 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 political actors in Afghanistan. Uh, those warlords and strongmen, so they're not only going to dialogue with the Afghan uh, government, particularly if the Afghan government's power, authority, and legitimacy is on the wane and decline. Uh, you will see then Iran, China, Russia reaching out to other people whom they think they can work with. Thank you. Um, I, I, you touched on Pakistan, and, and I wanted to um, sort of gauge your thoughts on, on that a little bit more. Um, so Pakistan's position and its role in the region is uh, increasingly complex. Um, and it's well, one thing we're, we're seeing now is that it's quite uncertain just how uh, the US-Pakistan relationship will evolve. Do you think these realities will shift the way Islamabad approaches its relationship with the Kabul government, which has been quite fraught with mistrust due to Pakistan's long entanglement with the Taliban? Sure, look, I mean, I think, uh, I think a, vict a victory for the Taliban, and you know, I I'd like to not mince my words over here. Um, the agreement that was reached with, between the uh, Taliban and the Americans, the, with the, essentially the withdrawal agreement, exit agreement, uh, was a victory for the Taliban, and by extension, it's a victory for the Taliban's benefactors, the Pakistani establishment, and particularly the ISI. So both these groups and actors uh, view this as a victory. So the Pakistani relationship with the Afghan government and certainly the Afghan peoples is one of heightened mistrust. Over the course of the past decade, you know, I've spoken to scores of uh, Afghan uh, uh, civil society actors, uh, 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 civil servants, um, and other actors who have variously described uh, uh, the hostility between Afghanistan and Pakistan as we're one step away from open war. Uh, so that, that sort of provides a insight into uh, the level of distrust. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, interestingly, as far as the Pakistani relationship with the Americans is concerned, the Pakistanis recently denied the Americans um, access to their territory to operate um, uh, air missions aerial missions into uh, Afghanistan in support of Afghan uh, uh, security forces. So the, uh, the Pakistanis have de denied America um, airfield access, number one, and they've denied um, America uh, the opportunity to use Pakistan as a base to conduct anti-terror uh, operations against uh, Al-Qaeda and other uh, ISIS elements. So that also suggests a change or a shift uh, in, in, in the Pakistani-American relationship. I think uh, the exit agreement uh, between the Taliban and the Americans has emboldened um, Pakistan to be able to do this. Uh, and I think that's um, how it's going to proceed. I think President Biden's position is clear, which is, well, um, you know, it's a hands-off approach now. Um, uh, the Afghans need to be doing the heavy lifting, which they have been <laughs> for, for several years now. 
but I don't think the Americans are going to be pressuring the Pakistanis to be doing much at all uh, in the coming months. Sounds like a lot is happening and a lot of things are up in the air. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Stringjoy, for joining us today and you've given us a lot to think about. Oh, well, I hope um, you know, uh, your, your audience finds uh, some of that uses. Obviously, these are all big questions. We could have easily spent 20 minutes on each of those questions. Uh, um, but you know, it, um, I, I'll add that my um, heart and my thoughts go out to Afghans because it's a really precarious situation environment that they are experiencing. Um, and the manner and way in which the Americans have withdrawn, uh, whether it was uh, uh, the US Special Envoy uh, Ambassador Khalilzad's approach to the negotiations uh, with the Taliban or whether uh, the Secretary of State Blinken's style of negotiating and, uh, with, the, with the Afghan establishment or for that matter, even uh, um, President Biden's position. I think it's uh, caused a lot of um, anxiety. It is causing a lot of anxiety uh, among Afghans. I think there's a lot of disappointment. Um, uh, there's a sense of betrayal among Afghans, which I think needs acknowledgement. Uh, they do see uh, this as a betrayal to an extent. Um, I'm not suggesting that the that all Afghans wanted um, the occupation, so to speak, to continue, the American presence to continue. I think many do see merit in a withdrawal, but I think it's the manner in which the Americans have gone about the entire negotiation process and withdrawal that has really uh, uh, burn some bridges, um, and which is now resulting in massive loss of life and also uh, uh, the loss of territory to uh, an increasingly, increasingly uh, uh, bold insurgency. Yes, I am deeply concerned about the ensuing humanitarian uh, unfolding that, that is happening in Afghanistan. Uh, it, it sounds like we'll have to have you on again sometime soon as there's so much left unsaid. But today I'd like to thank our audience. Um, you're listening to South Asia Chat. If you wish to learn more about our work, please visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. Thank you very much.